about narrative today and I'm a junior programmer and that's not narrative but we're going to talk about how narrative relates to different roles and how you can learn more about it. So let's introduce everyone else. Well, should we go this way? Talk about yourself. Hello, my name is Haroon. I'm the embedded environment art tester for Cloud Imperium Games. They're the studio behind Star Citizen and Squadron 42. So yeah, I'm probably the furthest from like narrative <laughs> on this panel. So I'm gonna be talking about it from like a QA perspective. Hi, my name is Alice. Uh, my pronouns are she slash they. I'm currently a senior game designer at NetSpeak Games. And previously I've been a narrative designer, a writer. Uh, the longest title I've worked on as a narrative designer is a game called Love and Pies. Um, so yep, that's me. Hello everyone, I'm Stuart Deville. I'm uh, a million things. Uh, I'm a podcast host for Game of London. I'm also co-founder for Game of London. I also run my own studio. Um, and up until recently, I was a games design lecturer. Um, and I deal with every kind of um, game dev there is, with both within my team, uh, with when I was teaching students. So hopefully I'll have some good insights for you today. Hello. Uh, I'm Becky, she, her, and I'm also uh, not really to do with narrative. I'm a producer at a little studio called Fat Familiar, which I founded with some friends. Uh, and I also do a couple other producey production things here and there. But uh, yeah, that's me. Cool. So let's just start off with a bit of an icebreaker. How about we chat about our favorite games and why they're our favorite in relation to narrative, so we stay relevant. Um, so tell me about your favorite games, guys. So favorite narrative game for me would have to be Life is Strange. At the I remember a friend of mine saying, oh my God, you have to play this game. It's so moving. I like to be able to like the time traveling ability, but I didn't realize just how deep and complex the story was. I just absolutely fell in love with those characters. I never really, I played a lot of games over my life, but I never really connected with characters like Max and Chloe. Like I genuinely cried by the end of like episode five. Like I was, I just felt like really connected to those characters and even just like some of the, um, social commentary that was in that game as well that kind of really kind of drew me towards um life is strange and like don't nod in general oh life is strange is so good it's amazing how they like in every game introduce a new set of characters and make us care just as much about them as they did in the first game it's really impressive um my favorite game is dungeons and dragons because you get to make up your own stories and i love doing that and um it's always chaotic, queer, dating sim, tabletop, Dungeons and Dragons nonsense when me and my friends play, which is great. So I'm probably gonna have to drift a little bit away from narrative. <laughs> uh, my favorite game to play at the moment um, is Don't Starve Together. And although there's no like direct delivery for narrative, there is still like this whole massive backstory and. They've, over the last, well, since like uh, the beginning of lockdown, they've, the game's basically become a whole new game anyway. And they've thrown in like a whole bunch of new characters and getting to know all of those characters and their super weird and bizarre backgrounds and stuff, which mostly is delivered in like trailers. But um, yeah, that's mine. That's mine at the moment. Right. Well, I was stumped for a second because a lot of my top favorite games don't really have a particularly intriguing narrative um, punch kick shoot <laughs> i mean more like animal crossing <laughs> um but if i had to think about my favorite game for its narrative maybe undertale that one like really got me there's a lot of not to spoil it for anyone who still hasn't played it but there's a lot of bits in it i genuinely did not expect and really like tugged at my heartstrings so and also, you know, the way it's one of those games where it has almost like a branching narrative. It, your choices matter. Um, yeah, 
that's more weird for me. <laughs> I mean, for me, there's two sort of different routes to this. There's the routes where I like a game because I like the characters, and there's the route where the game just has a cool narrative. So, uh, like the Near series, uh, Near Replicant, they have fab characters um, that you can fall in love with. But then if I were to go more down a narrative route, I'd say um, the Walking Dead games um, by Telltale. They have a great story. Um, so that's my opinion. But um, I haven't played The Last of Us yet. Um, loads of people tell me that that has really good narrative. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, I think it'll be good that we sort of talk about the how we communicate with narrative designers in our roles in the games industry. So as a junior programmer at Sumo, we're working on a game, uh, which is really cool, and I can't tell you anything about it. Um, but as a programmer, I barely have any contact with narrative designers. Um, I can see what they're doing, and they're doing some really cool stuff. Um, but that's about it. So what about you guys? Do you communicate with your narrative guys? Um, so from, a, from my perspective, um, I do kind of talk to some of the narrative people or designers specifically. So when I'm in like meetings with other artists, designers, there is like a narrative team there, like people who work with like the law of Star Citizen. So it's quite a complex law. Um, so when we have like a new location, like say Horizon, New Babbage, the law team are going to be in those meetings saying, okay, is it fitting with like the narrative of Star Citizen? Um, are the correct factions in place? And from my perspective, when I go into a location, I need to make sure that, okay, yeah, everything that the narrative team have set up for this location is actually represented correctly in the game through like its um, environmental storytelling. So if anyone's played Star Citizen, if you've been to like, um, or is in New Babbage, you'll see those like those kiosks around and there's like writing on, the, writing on the walls and stuff. So like someone like me will have to actually go in there and make sure, okay, yeah, it's actually fitting to like microtech's law. Like it's actually fit within the continuity of that, of that world. So as a narrative guy, <laughs> I, I think like for me, I, I love it when programmers and QA and other disciplines are supporting um, the work that I do, uh, particularly like when we have tools that are made for us by programmers, uh, because I would be lost without it. Um, I guess there's like two different kinds of narrative designer in the world, the one who implements the stuff that they write and they work on and the ones who don't have to do that. Um, unfortunately for me, I've always been the kind that has to implement the stuff that I work on, which means the um, tools and programmers are very important to me and QA is also very important to me to help fix my mistakes. Um, so I think that like, safe to say, the games I've worked on would probably not exist if it wasn't for um, people specifically helping me fix my mistakes um, in programming and QA team. Yeah, so for me, um, I at my studio, I uh, designed the entire IP. Um, so uh, the whole world, in fact, the entire, I've created an entire universe for my game. So like I am in, involved deeply in uh, the, what the, the law is and how things work in, in the world that I'm creating. Um, I've also had to work with a scriptwriter to be like, I think everything should work this way. And then they go, maybe it should work that way instead. And I go, oh, well, yeah, that should totally be a thing. Um, and then obviously I have to um, yeah, speak to everyone on my team so that they all understand the world that I'm creating so that the visuals work with that. Um, if the characters have like war paint or tattoos or they need to have, or, like wear special hats or whatever, they, they need to know that based on um, the, the story that I'm creating in the, in the sit back behind the scenes. So as producer, uh, especially because I tend to work on small teams where I'm the only producer, so I speak to everyone pretty much. But also being on small teams means I, I don't think I've ever really been on a team with a dedicated like narrative designer. Um, obviously, narrative still gets done, it just 
maybe not quite as we can't focus as much time on it as we would otherwise so um so i've still you know had to work with that side of things and like help make sure that it's done it's good everyone likes it everyone understands what's going on everyone has the same idea of the narrative because if if half the team thinks it's one thing and half the team thinks it's the other thing that can go uh that can go pretty bad pretty quickly so uh yeah that's how i work with narrative it's just as part of working with everyone <laughs> so i guess as you sort of mentioned becky there's um different sort of types of narrative that can be in games there's solely narrative so like a story or there's like more um smaller narrative so world building and stuff like that so um in star citizen uh tell us about some environments you've had to change because maybe it didn't fit right with the narrative or any problems you faced in that regard um so if anyone has played star citizen we do have these events called iae and fleet week and there is a little bit of like a narrative element to it as well so we have seen some, i have seen some issues that i can't obviously say about um where there was like a manufacturer which kind of conflicted with like the law or context to the event that was going on so it was like having to point out to them okay these lots shouldn't be here at this event because of x y and z reasons and then you know giving that information to the rest of the qa team as well because as my role as an embedded uh tester like qa will come to me to ask about like oh hey can you give me a bit more information about new babbage uh lawville or whatever I would give them as much context and information that they need to make sure that when they're bugging stuff um it's within the context of that world so it's like okay yeah this is what Marvel's like this is how it should look um there's also been times where um from an art perspective with the narrative is that how an environment looks for obviously for its um for this environmental storytelling so the designers and uh, the narrative team they'll write up like a design document and I'll explain like okay new babbage should kind of look like this it has this kind of feeling and then you know, we'll let that to kind of like real world examples so hopefully everyone's got the same idea the same context as to how that world should look and if anything kind of deviates away from that i can be the uh the person to go and break apart artist or designer's heart and say hey this isn't this isn't right so i guess this sort of leads on to you alice so when you were doing narrative design um how would you write the narrative to be beneficial to the development team would you write it differently for uh your environment artists or would you would you write different types of narrative for the specific roles or would you just hand out a document and hope everyone understands uh yeah we would definitely do it in different ways depending on who we were working with um So one of the main things where we had to really adapt how we summarize the narrative was if we had someone new joining the development team um because uh Love and Pies is a mobile game it's open ended and so there's continual updates coming out um we would effectively try and just summarize like 2 years worth of story into a small presentation when someone joined so that until they have time to play through the game they would kind of know what was going on Um we also found that like for localization and translating the game into lots of different languages uh things like puns or just the context for a sentence would need to be summarized and that's usually like in an excel spreadsheet answering people's questions from different uh parts of the localization studio that we used um and then when it comes to like the the artists and creating new characters and things like that we would usually like put the beginning of a brief about who the character was but it was very collaborative like we don't want to strip the creative elements of like character design and and concept design out of the artist's role so it would always be like some give and take there where we would put like oh this is the concept for the character but leave a lot of things open ended as well so the the art team could also come back with their ideas and and things like that too so i guess to follow on um have you figured um well have you found any constraints with writing um this way to help the other roles or um do you feel like it's easier to write for certain people or what are the presentations like as well 
Yeah, I think there's like a lot of constraints and a lot of um, different ways you have to adapt your writing depending on who it's for. Like, say that I'm summarizing some story thing for the development team and like the, the programmers specifically who are working on a feature. I probably need to get that down to like one or two sentences because they're usually very busy and usually they don't actually care that much about the story apart from like as a side thing. Um, so it, it would be like tailoring it down to the purpose. So in that context, it might be like on a confluence page, which is kind of like a, a wiki page for people who don't use confluence. And it might just be a, a short couple of sentences to give context. Um, but if I'm in show and tell and I'm presenting to the entire team, then that might be um, a GIF of the actual cutscene in the game, or it might be some pictures and some text. Um, whereas like to other people in the design team or the writing team, I'll just send them the script. Like it really depends on, on who you're talking to and what's most useful to them. Because I guess um, as much as we all like the story, in terms of our day-to-day -day work, we're usually looking at like how efficiently we can get that stuff done and what people need to know. Okay, um, so all of you have touched parts of narrative in your jobs. So what sort of happens when you feel, um, I guess you're not, some of you aren't doing writing, but when you get to that stage where you have writer's block, um, do you have like art block or anything like that um, when working on these things? Um, is there any ever any instances where you've got, you've talked to the narrative and you're sort of like, I don't know how to approach this problem. What would you do then? It's interesting to say a writer's block because I'm actually also writing a book as well, like on how to get into the games industry through QA. So I can talk a little bit about that as well. Um, like from, from, my, from my writing for my book, like I have experienced like writer's block where I'm just like, I just don't know what to write next. So sometimes I just kind of just like walk away from the problem, just take a break, um, just do anything else, just to kind of let my mind reset and, and I can think, oh, okay, I've now thought of like a new way to kind of continue on this chapter. Or may I just work, I might work on like different sections of my book, just be like, okay, I'm kind of done with this chapter. I don't want to look at it, I absolutely detest it. I'll just go write something completely brand new. Um, from like my day-to-day -day work, um, because I'm writing so many reports and I'm spending a lot of time just by myself or with my um, partner, Michael, who's on my team. Um, we're like one of the first, very, very first QA guys to go into a new location. So you can imagine that it's going to be full of books and it can be quite daunting when there's like, like when there's so many, you can feel like, like you can't get enough uh, reports done within a day. So we just try to, um, I always try to remember what my friend Andrea said to me, she would say, I like, just take it slow. You're not saving lives, <laughs> so just do what you can and then just continue on tomorrow. Because it can be quite daunting, especially when it's like a new location where it's like, it's still rough in parts, you're not sure what should or shouldn't be booked. And it's just a constant like, like back and forth between like design narrative to make sure like, hey, can I book this? Can I not book that? And then just, yeah, just slowly go through it essentially. Yeah, it's a really good advice. If you feel blocked on what you're trying to do to skip to another part of the project, that's like, definitely a good trick to use. Uh, the other way that I kind of try and fight writer's block is I just write badly. Uh, usually the block is like, I don't know how to write this good. So I write it bad instead um, and then go back to it and rewrite it in drafts because at least then something is there and it helps me move on to the next part and usually find something that I find a bit easier to write. Uh, it's also way easier rewriting bad writing for me than it is to do something from scratch. Like the worst thing for me is a blank page because it's very intimidating. But once there's some crappy writing on there, I can just go through and make it good instead. And that sort of works for me. Yeah, for me, I have the reverse problem. <laughs> I tend to, like, my brain is just going, oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. Oh, we should do this too. Um, and one, one of the major problems that I actually had with the game I'm developing um, is, uh, I, don't know, I don't quite know how to explain it, but basically I wanted to put in Victorian-style trains and have abandoned Victorian-style train carriages. And then I went and spoke to my scriptwriter because we've made all of these agreements and we've got this massive document for the timeline of when things are happening to different characters and when things are happening on the planet and stuff. And I was like, can I put trains in here? 
And, and she was like, well, actually, kind of yes and kind of no. Um, because of the, the, we have like um, all of the culture and stuff gets destroyed. Um, and so they wouldn't have had trains yet for them to be like abandoned Victorian style. So I guess there's history <laughs> knowledge that you need there as yeah. well. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so what do I need to do to get them in? <laughs> and they were like, well, we have magic, right? And I was like, that works. <laughs> magic trains. Awesome. Well, the ability to bring in trains earlier because magic. Nice. Okay. Do you have anything on this writer's block stuff? Um, well, I definitely relate to the art block side of things because aside from, well, my main thing is being a producer, but um, I also like to make art as well. And maybe not so much like, Professionally, but more like hobbyist. I definitely used to do it more often when I had more time. Do you get like producer's block? Um, I don't know, actually. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's weird because a producer's job is to unblock <laughs> things. So if the producer gets blocked, that's, uh, that, that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely have it where I sort of reach a point where I'm like, well, I don't know the solution to something and I don't know the next step forward. And you really have to like take a step back and take time to think through it. And also, I think a lot of the thing that, that causes these blocks is, I think like we've said, was um, sometimes if you just got to not be afraid to do something badly, because sometimes it's the fear of doing it badly that is the thing blocking you. And then if you think, oh, I'll just do it badly, it's like, it turns out actually not that bad. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how about we uh, chat a bit about tools? Because um, I know for much more narrative games, you'd have something like um, visual novel sort of style thing. So how would the um, narrative designers or people working in that area communicate with the uh, tools that they use. So um, what would you, would you request the tool and how would you request it? What would you want to request? Um, just for future reference, if anyone's out there making a game and wants to drag a narrative designer on or the other way around, if you're a narrative designer and want to communicate with a team, um, how would you embed that person into a new team? All of you. <laughs> Um, for tools, um, if you're interested in getting into like sort of narrative design stuff, I remember speaking to someone called uh, Stephen. I'm going to try to say his name right. Stephen Ice. He he was like a writer for like um, Broken Sword and stuff. And when I used to be a teacher, he came into our class and he was he was teaching students how to do like narrative design stuff. And one of the things he told students is, "Hey, why don't you try using like Twine? Because with Twine you can kind of like do like branching off there. I know it's very simple, but you know it does the job. It's it, it allows you to kind of create your own narrative if you're doing like sort of like um, vision novel sort of stuff. I've been doing a little bit of writing like on the side. I've been doing like indie game, like my own little indie game, like a point of view adventure game. So I've been using tools like um, Arcweave, which I think is like relatively new. It's like a couple of years old at this point. And it works the same way as like Twine, where you can just like, you can branch off, you can have like different boards. Um, I don't just, I, for my own little game, I don't just use it for narrative. I also use it for like the actual design as well. So it's like, hey, this is the puzzle. This is how you actually complete the puzzle, and this is how the story um, continues on. Um, for other tools that we use, like for like in Star Citizen, um, I'm trying not to like accidentally break NDAs. <laughs> um, <laughs> like we use quite we, we use um, a lot of Jira software, so like Jira for writing writing reports, but also like Confluence pages. Like it's just like heaps and heaps of Confluence pages um, to kind of go over all sort of the narrative information uh, about the game, but also stuff like MyRoboard as well that we use quite a bit um, to kind of kind of break down locations and also like the narrative elements of it as well. I love mirror boards. We call them mirror boards in our studio. Uh, pronunciation's a thing. Um, like, yeah, Twine is great if you're looking to get into narrative design because it's free and it's relatively easy to learn. Also, uh, Ink is really good as well. And it also has a plugin with Unity. So. Actually, on some of the professional projects that I've worked on, I've used Ink and then the, the plugin with Unity. Um, I'm using a tool called Artisy at the moment that does writing and then you plug it into Unreal. Um, 
what else? Uh, I also used some like bespoke tools that the devs made for us in Unity. So knowledge of Unity was surprisingly useful for narrative design, um, which, yeah, I mean, they, they were like custom made by our team. But for us, we had to think about like, how will these tools take the script and make a cutscene? And what will the narrative designer have to do to make that happen? So we had a lot of things where it was like, here is a big list of poses for the characters and picking up this pose will make them do this animation. And you would sort of take that and try and make it into a good scene in the story. Um, so kind of adds a like element of directoring the scene, directing scene. Yeah, I guess yeah. you're like writing a storyboard in a way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then other tools I've used have surprisingly been like a lot of spreadsheets for writing because character barks and uh, putting like all the strings into different lines and using like a spreadsheet to prepare the text for localization and things like that. Um, I've also used a lot of uh, PowerPoints and presentations uh, to do like a pitch deck for something in the story. So I've done some... Uh, freelance story consultations where companies have like given me some money and I've written like an outline for a story for them, which has been pretty fun um, because that's kind of the best bit of writing is just coming up with the idea. Um, and for that, I usually just do a, a PowerPoint and come up with like a, a bunch of different ideas and sort of structure it like that. So there's all kinds of different tools you can use. Um, yeah, anything really. Uh, I know that my scriptwriter was using Scrivener um, because there's like a really powerful way of when you're when you want dialogue to happen in a certain sequence of, of uh, com conversationally, I guess you would say. Um, but yeah, we also used um, spreadsheets because timeline uh, that is out of control, um, and uh, that also linked to uh, some of the characters who have we've mapped out their individual like what happens along their life from their birth to their death. And, <laughs> uh, and we've had, uh, we use Google Docs because you can link other Google Docs in a Google Doc. So you can be like, uh, this is about this person. And if we need to know more about that person, we click on that person, we go to the doc and we go, okay, it needs to know that because we're going to kill them in five minutes or, you know, stuff like that. So um, I think it, it depends largely on the, your team, your studio size, uh, if you have a budget at all. Um, yeah, Google Google Docs and Google uh, Slides um, is just pretty powerful if you just want to get stuff done. I've got to love spreadsheets, to be honest. <laughs> Never let me down. Um, yeah, so I'm not super knowledgeable of tools used for narrative but I think the ones that we've already mentioned here are ones I've heard of and heard good things about and also things that aren't like we said aren't specifically made for narrative like anything where you can just get your ideas like sometimes mm -hmm. it helps just having a virtual like, whiteboard where you can stick virtual post-it notes and link them together yeah, that, that's why mirrors mirror 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 or however Miro, you say it. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Miro. That's, what, that's why that's so powerful because it is a digital whiteboard but it's also like I've not, I've not yet reached the outer edge limits. Like you can be like, this is all going on here. Let's stick some stuff here. Shift mm. that down and stick some more stuff there, some stuff there. It seems, I don't know where the end is to that. Yeah, we use Miro at uh, Sumo and we have our UX designers on Miro and they'd be communicating with the different departments. So they'd be chatting with the artists to ask whether the UI fits in with the style of the game. Um, so not necessarily the narrative, um, but there's a lot of communication that goes on in Miro. So definitely check that out if you are interested. Um, there is sort of a kind of other area and that's sort of marketing the game. Because if a game is narrative focus or if you want to get your audience drawn in, you've got to advertise it well. So, um, how would we do this then? I am like the worst person to ask about marketing <laughs> because not even just for like my job, like I just cannot market to save my life. Like it is definitely like a very specific kind of um, um, skill set that you need for that. 
How would you pitch your environments to someone who doesn't know anything about the narrative? Oh, um, I guess you need like a really good elevator pitch, like that one line sort of thing that kind of really kind of sells an idea. Um, that in itself can be quite difficult. I think when I was working on my own little game, um, it took me about two weeks to kind of come up with a good elevator, uh, uh, elevator pitch. So just trying to find that right um, sentence that's going to really kind of sell it to someone who's really important. Marketing is a whole thing. Um, it is. I don't know anything about marketing. <laughs> um, because I have mostly worked in mobile games, uh, some of you may know that mobile games adverts have a bad rep. Um, at the company that I have recently been at, um, Trailmix, we actually you know, made a really big effort to make our adverts represent what our game actually is, um, which included a lot of like stuff that's genuinely in the story. And... Um, you know, when we made that decision, we actually like went back through some of our old adverts. And we were like, we should put this in the story so that the adverts are like accurately representing what happened. Um, so yeah, in terms of like getting people interested, usually if they watch for like six seconds or more, that means that they actually care. If they don't watch till that long, you've lost them. Um, so you try and put really interesting stuff in those first six seconds. And for us, it was like, someone's been pushed off of a tall building. What's going to happen? Um, or like the the story I was working on was had like a really big mystery element to it. So we would try and put that into the adverts. We'd try and put the romance element into the adverts as well. Um, basically just like taking the juicy parts of the story, putting them at the front of the advert and trying to leave a question in the viewer's mind that only playing the game will satisfy uh, was our main tack. And that worked quite well for us. Audiences are hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when you want to um, communicate, especially for me, I'm, I'm already finding this is a massive problem because I have this immensely rich world that I really want everyone to like know as much as possible about. But at the same time, if I do that, they're going to be there for an hour being bored um, or not bored, but they're not. There's going to be a very niche number of people that are uh, listening. So, yeah, you kind of you know, have to find those moments that are going to be interesting without just throwing all your spoilers at them. <laughs> kind of like film trailers, isn't it? Where they have to show the most interesting bits of the film, but without spoiling anything. <laughs> I can't. I hate. I hate trailers. Because I, I, every trailer I ever, I've ever seen, I always go, that's the movie. Yeah, I mean, I found that much more recently. It's so common now. It's annoying. But carry on. Um, yeah, I, don't, I really don't know anything about marketing, to be quite honest. <laughs> All I know is it's uh, very important and it's good to do it right. How do you do it right? I don't know. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> um, how about we just... Talk about if we were to design our own game narrative, what would that be? Would it be uh, a murder mystery? Would it be uh, a romance story? Um, yeah. Come on then. <laughs> I think for me, I would love to just do like a very like absurdist, uh, humorous sort of game. I'm a big fan of like obviously a lot of British um, sitcoms and comedy shows like Red Dwarf, Bottom, that kind of stuff. So I just loved like trying to do like really over the top um, kind of humor like that. Gay D and D dating sim. I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, NDA, NDA, NDA. Um, well, I mean, it's my game, so I can talk about it, right? Um, basically, um, if I were to make a game that I might or might not be actually making, um, it. It's heavy on the uh, fantasy, essentially. Uh, we love that. Yeah, fantasy world, uh, anthropomorphic uh, beings on a planet in a different universe with magic. Me, I, I'm not too sure exactly what genre I would do, but I know how, how to explain. I want to make a game with a narrative that makes the player feel the same way I felt when I play games like Undertale, Night in the Woods. Something quite easy then. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure like what what genre it would be, but it's more I'd make something that's like that feels like that, that like I don't know. That people go like, oof, <laughs> that hurt. A game that causes feels. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um Talk about problems. What issues have we had with narrative? Has there ever been a moment where you really don't agree with the narrative and you want to push it another way? How do you communicate that with the team? Do you go up to the artist narrative uh, design team and chat to them about this? Or, um, yeah, what do you do? So we do, um, internally, we do like a lot of play tests with Star Citizen. So you want to kind of play the game, experience it like the backers do. Um, and when we're playing it, we're also writing down a lot of like suggestions and feedback as like how to make improvements uh, to the game. So for me, um, I, I take a lot of that feedback from the developers and try to collate it in a concise uh, task or like a JIRA to be able to explain to um, the developers like, hey, maybe this mission or feature could be better if you incorporated these. Like you have to really kind of make an argument to make those kind of improvements. You have to say, this is what the, the quote unquote problem is or, and here's how you can improve it and why it would be beneficial for those people. And you just throw it into that JIRA bucket and just pray to God that someone <laughs> will eventually look at it. Uh, so when I became a narrative designer at Trailmix, we weren't quite hitting the metrics that we wanted for the game. Uh, we were in pre-release and our day one retention, which is like if someone downloads the game, plays it for one day, do they play the next day? That's day one retention. It wasn't quite what we needed it to be. And our monetization, which is people spending money in the game, also wasn't what we needed it to be for it to be viable and uh, commercial enough for us to survive as a studio. So we tried a bunch of different things. And at the time when I became a narrative designer, we were changing the story because we sort of figured out from playtesting that players weren't really vibing with the story in the way that we wanted them to. And I was a gremlin was how we fixed that. Um, I sort of um, worked with our lead writer and was just like, more drama, more over like everything. And we took all the things that we knew the players liked and amped them up way, uh, way much. So we, we cribbed a lot of ideas from like telenovelas and um, soaps and dramas like that and romance genre. And we took all those really cheesy things and amped them up as much as we could because we're like, if a little bit is good, then a lot must be good as well. And it worked. Like we managed to hit all of our benchmarks and became very successful. So I guess Yay. it worked. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so um, I tell everyone what my story is. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, like um, trauma, like uh, childhood trauma, um, uh, death, loss, you know. People love that. Yeah, trauma. Um, you, your pet dies, trauma. Uh, actually, we don't have, I don't think we have pets. Maybe, maybe we can get pets. Maybe. But um, yeah, for, for the most part, I just, like you say, it's, it's drama, but um, I always think about, um, for, as an example, I wanted one of my characters to kind of like lose it and, and like rage out. Um, and originally uh, for that, I had like this bit of narrative where um, they just met, someone who like really upset them and I was like that's not enough someone has to have died here um oh, so, yeah. so yeah so it became someone died here uh, and then uh I had to kind of find a spicy way for that information to be delivered across so that then the character would just be like no and uh, as far as I'm concerned it works that's really cool um how about you Peggy um so it was the question about how we <laughs> I've forgotten as well. Um, oh, okay. Like, how would you raise a problem? To yeah. How would you fix any problems you have from a production side of you? Okay. Um, so one nice thing about being in small teams is that you get like a bigger say in <laughs> decisions that are made on the game, even if it's like 
not specific, not like specifically the area that you're working on. People still like give feedback across different disciplines and stuff. So I have been in a position before where I've like looked at like the mirror board, <laughs> Miro, whatever it is, <laughs> the whiteboard software, to and looked up over at the um, narrative and like had like a couple of suggestions. And it's like I'm aware that it's like I don't have the final say. Obviously, I can make a suggestion, but I'm not an expert on the narrative. So, um, but yeah, I'll just say why and like and back it up with oh I think it'd be better if we did this because it would make more sense if we did that um and yeah that, that has actually gone through a couple of times so it's like yeah I, I helped <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've got a small team and um I I will always pitch whatever my story mm. is to my team and be like is this crazy enough um, mm. have I killed enough people is there enough bloodshed um do I need to resurrect someone because we can do that <laughs> Um, so I guess from this we can uh, talk about how it's not just the narrative designers which make narrative decisions. Everyone can, um, in a way, take part, suggest things. Um, and I believe from what I've heard from the narrative designers on my teams that I've been in, they love that sort of stuff. They love multiple people's opinions because um, they want it to be unique. And that's the only way they can make it unique if it's not just from them. Um, so what, what do you think about that, Alice? Do you like other people's opinions? Yeah, definitely. Um, we had like a, a super team at my old studio who were the sort of people that we always ran big story changes past to see whether they were good enough. And um, this was kind of like regardless of job role, it was just to do with like, people at the studio who would also be players of the game and fit that kind of profile. So it was one of our artists, uh, the user acquisitions lead and our CEO, who were kind of like this squad of people who represented our player base really well and, and also just like really loved the drama. And one of our metrics was like, you know, if this makes Eugene, our UA lead, squeal and like giggle really excitedly, then it's exciting enough. But if not, it, it needs something. So... Yeah, we really value feedback from the team and feedback from players as well, um, regardless of role. Yeah, when I'm uh, recruiting, um, the first thing I do is bore them to death with the story. And if they're not sitting there going, oh, my God, so, like, then what happened to them? And, <laughs> well, what if, what if we added this person and, and, like, that became a thing? If they're not doing that, then I'm kind of thinking, uh, you're probably not going to be joining my team. So um, it is really important for me that, a, I bring on people that like what it is that I'm trying to create, but also that will have their own opinions and ideas and are excited to like help me develop it. Because if I just create my thing that's in my head, then it's going to be entertaining to me and I need it to be entertaining to everyone. Definitely. Uh, do you want to talk about this? <laughs> I mean, the great thing about um, cloud um, is that you can really talk to a lot of people within different disciplinaries. So there's, there's, there isn't this kind of wall between QA, design, art, or like the narrative team. Like they're really kind of open to kind of have like a great working relationship with everyone. Um, I'm quite fortunate with being like embedded where like I'm like directly talking to people who are in like sort of like art, art roles, design roles, you know, from different seniorities. So a lot of times they will kind of come to, to me and ask about like, hey, what's your opinion about this or that? And even when like, when they're doing like wider kind of like um, testing for like, an, for like events that are going on within the game, QA doing their kind of sweeps of testing, you know, they'll ask for their feedback. They'll say, hey, does this make sense? Um, what kind of um, feedback would you give to us to make it, uh, to improve it? And they do take that, they do take that um, feedback on, on board, which is really great because you do hear stories from like, um, uh, in QA where like you're just you're just there you're, like you don't get to talk to other people and that's one thing I really like about cloud is the fact that it, it, it does feel like a very collaborative process so I think that's just about the time we have but does anyone have any questions where's our question gone Yes, I'm here to filter the q and I'm sure people are champing at the bit with questions I have a couple myself but I'm not going to be selfish I'm going to let you ask the questions uh, so yes, hands up if you have a question. I saw you straight away. 
Thanks. Um, I wanted to ask, um, earlier you talked about using spreadsheets. I don't know. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, earlier you talked about using spreadsheets um, to help with like the characters, arts and designs and such. Can you speak a little bit more about like the layout, how you use them, um, uh, what kind of categories? Um, so it kind of depends on what I'm trying to tackle exactly. But um, one of the main things that I have done in spreadsheets that has been like good for portfolio work and things like that have been character marks, which are little one-liners that characters say. So it might be like, if someone shoots you and you go down, then you're like, ah, I don't want to die now. That's like a character bark. Um, and so you might have like triggering event as one column and you would say when this character is downed and then you'd say what character it is in another column. You might say like a, a voice actor direction or a tone or something like that so that you can give a descriptor for like how the line would be said. And then in another column, you'd have the line itself. Um, so that's like one way it gets used. But aside from that, like there are so many different spreadsheets I have used in the past and they all have different layouts. Um, yeah, we had like one for each script that we had that would give like a summary of the script, summary of the assets that we had for the script, whether or not it was implemented in the game. And it had like 30 tabs. So I can't remember the exact layout, but uh, I think like, layouts are kind of always different depending on your needs yeah um yeah definitely different structure for different things right so i uh the one thing that i've mostly used it for is uh timelines um event timelines for things that are happening on on the world like for example warlock wars happens around at this point um and then um other, other events that happen along the way and sometimes i'll have a tab for those events because there are certain people that are there for that event, but they're not at a different event in time. Um, and that all connects to the timeline for the individual character and like what happens in their life. Um, like maybe they, someone dies at this point in their life, so I need to know that. Um, if they're having a conversation with someone later. Um, so it's, it's, like a, it's like a web of madness, but uh, it kind of helps you organize it a bit. Um, so I just wanted to add on to the more technical side of spreadsheets. Um, localization is really big, like we mentioned before. Um, not necessarily narrative related, but more like uh, these stories, these characters would say a line and then the, um, the localization team would work with this uh, spreadsheet to translate it to different languages. and it's quite difficult for them because like we mentioned, there could be puns or jokes that just don't make sense in other languages, which is why there's an example in Breath of the Wild, um, Link has little journal entries in the Japanese version. Um, I think it was for side quests or something like that. But for um, the English version, they weren't really journal entries anymore. So the localization team uh, wrote out on these spreadsheets different entries um, which made a bit more sense in English so that's another side of it okay cool I'm going to move on to the next person unless somebody had something to say no all right we're moving on thank you oh uh, so yeah apologies uh, if I missed it because I got here like 15 minutes late but um I don't know if you cover did you cover like character um progression or like character designs in the first 15 minutes? Um, sorry, was the question like, how do we go about well, have we character it? designs? Or have we covered am I, it? Am I not loud enough? Sorry. Um, no, uh, we, we haven't really covered it. OK, nice. So uh, my question is basically, um, how do you make uh, a character that isn't one dimensional in like personality, like somebody that you can like, somebody that you can get into, or somebody that you can despise, right? Like. How do you make a convincing character without having them be like one thing? I, I can tell you how I do it. <laughs> um, so for, for me, the, 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 there's, it's almost like a cheat, cheat sheet way of doing it. Um, I think very long and hard about the people that I know. Um, and there are quite a few, not so much now because I've, I've got really good at cutting people out of my life, but 
certainly when I was younger, there were people in my life who were absolute characters in one way or another. And um, just thinking about if they were in this situation, what would they say? What would they do? How? What are the ridiculous thoughts that they would have? Um, and then how would that interact with another person? And in quite a few cases, like uh, as an example, um, I used to have a couple of people that I hung out with and we were in a bar together and they were having the most ridiculous fight I've ever heard in my entire life. And I was like, that's perfect inspiration, actually. Um, to add on to that, I think one of the things that Stuart mentioned earlier um, with like writing out the character's entire life, um, that's something that our lead writer did a lot for Love and Pies. And um, we would have like these really extensive biographies about the character and we'd know like their sandwich preference and like all these like obscure little bits of information. And it's kind of like an iceberg where the tip of it is what you see in the game as a player and then slowly the water level goes away, which is bad. But, um, you know, you sort of see more, but there's always like these hidden depths as well. Um, and there's actually lots of um, cool templates out there in the world for writers that will be useful. Um, it will ask like a bunch of questions about what does your character do in this situation? And th those kinds of exercises can be really useful um, just to build up your character and get more of an idea of who they are and, and the questions you've not asked yourself yet. So if you search like, character building templates um there should be a bunch of things like that out there there's also um loads of uh like uh personality trait um things out there that like this is the kind of person you are if you do xyz and they're a bit trashy when you're thinking about is that me but when it comes to creating characters it's a really good like base plate to kind of build around and just make some absolutely mental person all right, cool. I'm going to head over this way because I saw some people nodding at me earlier. Uh, hi. <laughs> it's a quick question about uh, templates and ideas. Uh, how do you balance the, all the ideas you have so the story doesn't get like too complicated and too big in a game? Because like, a game can get very extended and very complicated. How do you balance so I think that it helps to be part of a team because there's always people who are very critical of the big ideas and the complex ideas. And so I always pitch my idea to the rest of the team and get it criticized and change it. Um, but I think, again, it's kind of like that iceberg description for the characters where you have the entire story idea, but what the player sees through the game is like just a tiny part of that that slowly lowers down. You see more of it. Um, so I think there are some things that you will know as the writer or the narrative designer that are never revealed to the player um, that can be part of the complexity of the idea. Um, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like a wild horse when it comes to these kind of things. So I literally need my team to be like, whoa, no. <laughs> um, yeah, like I've. I have sprawling pages of stuff that is never going to make it into the game, but I need it out of my head. Um, and yeah, I just have so many conversations with my team at, at every point that I can, um, just harassing them with the stuff that comes out of my brain. All right, cool. I think we've got time for just one more, so no pressure. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say that in the last 10 years, we've seen quite a big shift towards games selling narrative through cutscenes and cinematics. Uh, I just wanted to know if you guys have any more unique examples of games where they've told narrative in sort of unique, interesting ways, either recent examples or classic examples. That's a tough question. Um, I haven't played that many games lately. I've been busy. <laughs> um, I think there's like some like games that do more procedurally generated things that can be quite interesting because through necessity they have to be like i think if you look outside of genres that you know um trend towards having more cutscenes and things like that you'll see more interesting stuff out there um i think hades does some really interesting stuff with how they manage dialogue um there's a really cool people make games video about it if i remember correctly I think also that um, 
with how technology is moving, there's loads of AI stuff out there right now. Um, like Midjourney, obviously, is doing a lot of stuff on, on the visual side of things that's really going to help us in terms of um, just putting together those crazy concepts in our head. Um, but I also think that, um, I don't know how much like you look into these things, but there's also a lot going on with uh, emotional intelligence in AI. And I think a lot of that's going to come in. I don't think it'll ever properly replace us because like you need a you need the human side of things to understand whether or not it's mental or not but i do think that yeah all of those tools that are coming in they're going to make it easier for us and i only see it getting better really okay i think we can squeeze one more in before we wrap up and i know you had your hand up so i'm not sure if this has already been addressed because i also unfortunately came late but what would be your kind of number one like piece of advice for people kind of trying to enter the industry and like start in narrative design and narrative work? That's a really tough question because it is really hard to, to break into. Um, I would be happy to talk to you afterwards if you want to talk about it some more, but my main pieces of advice are write anything, like just get something in a portfolio because choice paralysis will hold you back. And um, you'll wait for the perfect thing to put in your portfolio and it won't magically happen. So that comes from experience of not having done it myself. Um, and aside from that, I think uh, internships and lower level things are like very good uh, little entry points. Um, freelance writing gigs, if you can get any, are really good. Um, the studio roles are really hard to get. So um, that is very competitive. It always helps to have any kind of writing credit on your CV. Um, making your own game can be good for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say exact, exactly the same thing. Um, uh, getting involved in game jams, um, doing stuff with your friends. Because um, I, mean, I, I started out thinking that I wanted to go work in AAA, and then I started working on my portfolio, and then I started making games, and then I was like, I don't need a AAA studio, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> Um, so, um, for the most part that, you know, um, I know there's this whole thing against like hustle culture and stuff, and it doesn't have to be that hardcore, but there's a lot that you can do by yourself. Um, and if your goal is ultimately to get into a studio somewhere, um, look at, uh, the indie space for somewhere to start because the indie space is only continuing to explode. Um, and as much as there are lots of studios that die there's also one born every five minutes so there are opportunities out there basically um you just have to keep trucking until you find the one that stays alive so from a really generalized point of view i wanted to really push game jams just because um as a programmer you can just join a game jam do some programming and that's another piece for your portfolio you can do exactly the same for every other role join a game jam do art do narrative do whatever you want to do and that's a piece for your portfolio so i'd really push on game jams and making your portfolio just about what you want to do so if that's narrative make a whole portfolio that's like a story mode that you have to go through like make a book and then make that your portfolio something really creative if it's a creative role um I, th yeah. I think the other thing is that um, networking and making friends in the industry uh, is quite important. I mean, that is why I wear the Game of London t-shirt. That is why it exists. Um, yeah, so I, I will just obviously plug that now that I've said it right. <laughs> um, uh, you can go to gamedev.london. Um, half of us here are from Game Dev London. Um, we put on events um, for uh, indie developers mostly, um, but anyone who's trying to make um, their career in the industry. Um, we have we tend to do about three different game jams each year. Um, we've actually got our own games expo coming up um, towards the end of this year. Um, that's a, like really super indie friendly. Um, we have a Discord. We have a podcast. We're doing everything we can to like support indies. Just to add as well, um, kind of adding to what Amy said, it's like I think the most important thing is just to get involved with the community, like. Game jams are great. Just make games. You can put them on, you know, itch.io. It doesn't matter if they look great. If you're if you're a designer, it doesn't matter if you've got like little squares or cubes. It doesn't that doesn't matter as long as the gameplay mechanics are um, 
great. That's what people are going to care about. So getting involved within the communities. If you want to get into QA, for instance, like if you're trying to go to AAA, it's like, oh, you need like one year's worth of experience, but you got to find other ways to get that experience. So with like Star Citizen, um, like League of Legends, you know, you can put in like um, community bugs. If, if you can show examples of like really well-written bug reports, that can be like, oh, you know how to actually write a, a decent report that's not crap. Because I've seen some really bad ones that the community have made. No offense to them, it's, uh, but they're not really that helpful. Um, but mentorships as well are really important. So limit break, um, if you're in an underrepresented um, community like uh, BIPOC, LGBT+, um, they are really great ways of um, uh, to get mentorship with people who are actually working in the industry. Into games as well. I think they've got like a booth down there somewhere. Um, they they have a lot of mentorships. Um, IGDA, um, which I always forget the acronym, <laughs> um, but they have mentorships and stuff as well. So there are there are loads of people in the industry that will be willing to help you if you just ask. Like I've had like a few people ask me for help on their CVs and stuff. And even though I'm like super busy, I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. Because I'm, I'm happy to help anyone that wants to get in the industry. Cool. Uh, sadly, that's all the time we have uh, for this panel. But um, in incredibly intelligent and enlightening. Please show your love and appreciation for the Writing and Games panel.